You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 75. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Tom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the two-part Tenth Doctor stories, Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So first, I want to kind of to take a moment to promote our other podcasts that we have. Uh, we're part yeah. of... We're part of the StarQuest uh, production network, or StarQuest Media, we say for short. Sometimes we call it SQPN. Um, so uh, just to kind of want to let you guys know about three other podcasts that we do. Um, one that's most like Secrets of Doctor Who is called Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. We talk about, um, you know, movies and shows, uh, science fiction and, and related types of movies, superhero movies, that sort of thing, uh, TV series, anything that um, – we can kind of cover in a brief amount of time, you know, so we'll cover like a whole season of a, of a TV series or, or a movie. So recent ones, we've done uh, secrets of the new X-Files secrets of the good place, um, secrets of Avengers secrets of lost in space, the, the new lost in space from Netflix. So, uh, so that's, um, if you go to sqpn.com slash secrets, you'll find all of our, our, uh, podcasts there. Uh, we do another show called star quest headlines, that's uh, it's four headlines, two minutes every weekday, where we kind of talk about you know the the news that's of interest to our audience. So four headlines. A lot of times it'll be Star Wars or Star Trek or uh, some Marvel thing or a TV show. Maybe some fun news about the Pope in Rome. Uh, some stuff like that. We got a few uh, fun ones of those recently, uh, and that's at uh, sqpn.com/headlines. And then uh, another one, which is uh, not quite like those, which, but uh, is still great. We call it it's PlayStation Pre- Portable. Uh, you've heard of PlayStation Portable. You'll begin. This is PlayStation Portable. And this is a daily uh, podcast of seven days a week. Um, and it comes the episodes come down. It's the it's what the church calls the Catholic Church, the liturgy of the hours or the divine office. It's, it's called both of those things. And so it has a morning prayer, midday prayer. Um, or daytime prayer, I think it calls it, evening prayer, night prayer, and office of readings. Every day, mm-hmm. short, 15 minutes, takes, you know, five minutes, of some of them really short. Um, and it's just a nice way to kind of mark the hours of the day and to pray. And this, this is a universal prayer, prayed throughout the mm-hmm. church. Um, a lot of people think it's just for priests and religious, but it's really for everyone. And uh, it's been good. We've been uh, doing this podcast for over a decade it's been very popular. Um, I got to give props to Jeff Vista, the man behind PlayStation Portable, and he's been very uh, faithful in doing this, uh, very dedicated uh, for 10 years. So um, check the shows out. Uh, that That's at um, uh, sqpn.com slash PSP. I think you'll find it. Or just go to sqpn.com. You'll, you'll find it. Um, you know, give the shows a listen. Try them out if you haven't listened before. Uh, share shows with other people including this one who might be interested who who may be fans of certain shows and say hey check this out if you like doctor who if you like lost in space if you like that check check out what these folks have to say about it um 
write a review uh, on iTunes or Google Play or any place that lets you review them. Uh, a five-star reviews help a lot to, to, to spread the news. Uh, and also, you know, we're a nonprofit. We, we don't, you know, as you notice, we don't have ads. We don't have, uh, you know, sponsors for the shows at, at the moment. Uh, we rely entirely on the generosity of listeners who want to support what we do. And so your donations are welcome of any size. Uh, every gift helps. Um, and you can, you, if you'd like to, to make a gift or check out what we're doing, you can go to sqpn.com slash donate. So I just wanted to take a, you know, a couple minutes to talk about what we're doing and other shows you might be interested in that's, uh, real, you know, sort of connected to, uh, to this show, what we do here. So thank you for that. So gentlemen, rise of the Cybermen and age of steel. Um, so this is a big moment in new who, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. seeing the. Well, in the sense of it's the it's a return of one of like so we've 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 had the Daleks in New Who uh, right. as one of the the classic monsters of Doctor Who. This is a return of the, of another classic monster of Doctor Who we haven't seen yet, uh, which is the Cybermen, which show up many mm-hmm. times uh, in in classic Who. Uh, right, they're the number two villain in Doctor Who after the Daleks. Yeah. Right, and so I, I feel like that's a big that's it's a big now whether they pull it off that's another question we'll explore. But it's sort of mm-hmm. a big moment to kind of the, to another step in the return of Doctor Who uh, uh, when, you know, they've been off air for so long to kind of come back with the Cybermen. Um, so, so you know, overall, you, let's talk a little bit about, about the Cybermen in general. I mean, we've we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about Cybermen mm-hmm. in, in our podcast. We've um, we've kind During of the go- first Doctor Regeneration story. Exactly. Um, the 10th Planet. Time. The, yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're at other key moments in Doctor Who history, including one we haven't talked about yet, which is the death of Adric. Um, yep. The Cybermen are involved in that. Um, they show up pretty frequently in um, in in multiple different classic Doctor stories and in spinoff media. So, yeah, they're definitely around. We talked about them in uh, uh, so the Tenth Planet. We mm-hmm. saw them in the most. Oh, the- they're in- the most the recent 11th doctor yeah. regeneration story yeah yep um the um the 12th doctor regeneration yep. caused by the uh the cybermen and the origin of the cybermen in that uh one uh, of the origins one of the origins yep. <laughs> right exactly that's something mm-hmm. we talk about um as well as um we talked about the, in the big finish production uh, spare parts spare parts right which, yeah which actually turns out is a is an inspiration for this story. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, yep. uh, in fact, I think they kind of went back and said that spare, uh, big finish of spare parts was the basis for right. this story. According to yeah. Tar- Tardis Wikia, which pulled it from the, the Darshu magazine, um, said that Mark Platt, who wrote spare parts actually got both credit and a fee for these stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. Only he did it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to to re, to, re, to recap, spare parts uh, featured the fifth Doctor and his companion. Uh, was that Tegan? That was Nissa. Uh, it Nissa. was Nissa. Nissa. Okay. So the the Doctor and Nissa uh, go f- visiting the plot a, plan- a planet, the planet Mondas, um, and seeing the origin of the Cybermen as people being upgraded, sick people being upgraded and healed, quote unquote. Uh, using these mechanical mm-hmm. parts, um, and that you know, when you've seen this episode, there's a there's a clear connection 
uh, between that, that because that we get that from the this the main character here. Uh, the I mean the main protagonist here. I'm sorry, antagonist. I was mixed that up. The main antagonist here, <laughs> who uh, who is is dying and and wants to create the Cybermen as a way to get immortality. Um, I'll put a link to our discussion of uh, the spare parts uh, mm-hmm. story in the show notes. That was episode 37, guys. That's we're on 75. Wow, half, that was, a, half a podcast run ago. So yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, so. Uh, let's talk about the story then, unless unless there's more uh, precursors type of stuff we want to talk about. Uh, but uh, I think maybe we can jump into the story. Um, the Doctor, Rose, and Mickey are um, aboard the TARDIS after their last adventure, and they girl in the fireplace, girl in the fireplace, mm-hmm. right where they went to uh to, 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 to the, the the spaceship. Um, and so this is Mickey's second adventure on the TARDIS as a companion, and. Something goes wrong, as it always does, <laughs> and mm-hmm. sends the TARDIS through a, a hole in the space-time continuum to a parallel Earth. Now, right. is, is this the first time we've had a parallel Earth, like a multiverse sort of? It's it's not. Okay. Um, so this has come up on Doctor Who before. It's kind of interesting, though, for a series that's run as long as Doctor Who – Parallel universes are relatively underexplored. Mm-hmm. Um, that trope of science fiction has not been used very much. Um, it has been used. It is used in the spinoff media. It has been used on TV a few times. The most notable example is a third Doctor story called Inferno, mm. where um, the third Doctor, John Pertwee, was fooling around with the TARDIS and got trans trying to fix it. Cause in, in those days he couldn't, he couldn't make it work. And, um, he was trying to fix it and he got transported to a parallel earth where, uh, there had been like a fascist coup in Britain mm-hmm. and the brigadier had an eye patch <laughs> and had apparently executed the entire Royal family. Mm-hmm. And so it was like the mirror, mirror, dark universe episode of Dr. Who. <laughs> right. That seems to be popular actually back then in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, this idea of mirror universe, dark, dark, uh, parallel universes. Uh, in the, that time, the only the only difference was the brigadier in the mirror universe had no facial hair versus his mustache yet in the normal universe. Yeah, so, so he didn't have a goatee. Losing facial hair, <laughs> he didn't have a goatee. <laughs> so what did they do after that? Just I'm just kind of curious. When they, he comes back, did they have to have? Was he wearing like fake like prosthetic hair, or the fake mustache and beard? I, I could almost imagine they probably. Assuming that he the face the mustache he had that was natural, he probably filmed all the scenes with the mustache, yeah. and then then he shaved, and then he filmed all without. And then maybe that was it for the season. And uh... it, I think Inferno <laughs> might have been the end of a season. It, episode I believe was. it was the end of the season. Yeah. So he had time to grow it back. That's committing to the role. Good, good on him. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that ain't me. And the three of us are. In the, we, you know, you, you, this isn't uh, video. This is audio. Three of us are all bearded men, and uh, I'm not. I'm not committing to that role. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not, they're, they're, I'm not I, I don't have any plans shaving in however much life I have left. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one one feature of uh, alternate universes that seems to be universal in, in, in all is that all alternate Earths have dirigibles. The, the dirigibles are common. <laughs> oh, yeah. I th- it's a science fiction. I think science fiction writers love uh, Zeppelin dirigible, you know, uh, the, oh, the, 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 the I think. 
I think we all would love to have our own Zeppelin to go cruise around the world, just kind of drifting along and enjoying. Uh, uh, I'm on record. Yeah. They had that on Fringe too, Zeppelin's alternate universe. And and you can see from a production standpoint why you would want to do that because it's easy to put that in the sky as a way, as a special effect to say, this is not our Earth. Exactly. It's it's like right immediately. In fact, they use that in the – in this episode of Doctor Who, immediately, you know, it's like, we know it's not Earth. Look, Mickey, <laughs> since when is London sky full of uh, lighter than aircraft dirigibles? Um, but I'm on record as saying that if I was a billionaire, I would I would be I would have a sky yacht and just fl- float around the world uh, uh, on my sky yacht. And I'd probably end up being a supervillain. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's me. Yeah. That'd work. But, you know, and in fact, the supervillain in this one, he has his dirigible. Um so, uh, you know, we start with uh, this cold open of um, the uh, what's his name? I, I want to make sure I get the the name. I, I keep the names right of the uh, John Lumick in his laboratory, mm-hmm. and we see the Cybermen always out of focus at at this point. With they, they're they're holding the big reveal until the end of this first episode, um, and he's in his lab, and we hear. Um, indistinctly uh, well we, we see the cyberman indistinctly but we hear the phrase distinctly it's alive very much a, a frankenstein reference uh, of yeah. course you know the mary shelley's frankenstein um and that's kind of what the cybermen in this incarnation are i mean the cybermen have always been sort of a a body horror idea haven't they this idea of yeah. man merged with machine and the the machine strips out all of the humanity of the man yeah, and this is one of the I mean visually they're impressive as robots, but they really the Cybermen in this, you know, the Cybermen have had a number of redesigns over the ages. Mm-hmm. And the and and they over time have become more and more mechanical looking and more and more robot like, which actually undermines the body horror. Because mm-hmm. when the Cybermen are most scary is when it's clear that's a human being in a body stocking with mechanical bits added, right. as opposed to this is a suit of armor. Right. I mean, we and we we see that return in uh, the 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 twelfth Doctor's last story when Bill is turned into one of that kind of Cyberman, where those right. early, that exactly. early version, and 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 she gets that horrible realization of. Yeah. What's been done to her, and uh, and you're right. I mean, we're so used to as viewers, we're so used to just robots that we have to keep being reminded this isn't just a robot, but a person inside. And they do that right. several times in this episode. Well, and that's, they go ahead, Father. Corey. I was going to say, you know, it's it's um, something that the the Borg in Star Trek is so effective as a villain because they're still very much recognizable as a human being that's had yeah. bits grafted onto it. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I that is actually disturbing. So there are a couple of things I think that are kind of meta problems. Well, there are several meta problems with this <laughs> kind of high level problems with this two parter. One of them <clears throat> is the fact it's set in a parallel universe because this, they wanted to do an origin story for the Cybermen. I, I guess that's the fundamental mm-hmm. inspiration mm-hmm. for this. And um, and and why they didn't just do spare parts, I don't know. 
because you're you're a, you, you've got a time travel show. Go back to Mondas and show us the beginning of the Cybermen. But apparently, they wanted to graft the new Who characters like. Pete Tyler and Jackie Tyler and Mickey right. onto this, and they wanted to set it on Earth, I guess, on the theory that we can relate. It'll be more horrific if they do this on Earth than some other planet. And um, and they're doing it as a kind of a commentary on condition, contemporary social trends like iPods, because mm-hmm. the thing that lets the Cybermen in this take control is are these devices that everyone's wearing around in their ears called which, ear pods, which, which is are what, just it, it's just a slur of earbud and iPod. Well, yeah. in, and, in fact, that's, you know, I hold as I hold up my AirPods from Apple. I mean, literally, literally now they're called AirPods. <laughs> yeah, literally. The, this is what we wear now is we have they've recreated the ear, the AirPod. Uh, on uh, from Doctor Who that. So it's kind of funny as you bring that up. But you're right. I mean, it's it's it. They wanted to undercut. Yeah, go ahead. So, but it undercuts the drama because this isn't our group of people. This isn't our universe. We're watching a drama playing out on a in a new universe that we're not invested in. Right. In the same way, and so I I don't get the 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 pleasure of seeing. Ooh, this is how our, this is how our Cybermen started. Mm-hmm. This is just this is some other parallel Cybermen, and I don't care about them because I'm not invested in their universe fictionally the way mm-hmm. I am in the main fictional universe we follow here. So so that is one thing that undercuts it. But another thing that that undercuts it for me, is the very fact that these are people. There are moments where they effectively play the body horror. And for people who don't know that term, body horror is where something terrible happens to somebody's body that creeps you out, like the chestburster scene in Alien. Mm -hmm. Or here we get the surgical whirring things transforming people into Cybermen. And there are moments where the body horror is played effectively, but then they proceed to treat the converted Cybermen as if they're disposable. So like when they uh, when the doctor and Mrs. Moore in part two have have disabled a Cyberman, it turns out, and they've disabled the emotional inhibitor on it accidentally. It turns out to be a woman named Sally Phelan who's on her wet, who got upgraded on her wedding night. Mm -hmm. And the doctor just kills her. It's like, I'm sorry, you could justify killing a Cyberman that's attacking you as self-defense, but she's no longer a Cyberman in terms of programming. She's a vulnerable human that's been mutilated and is, mm-hmm. in, is in this horrific device and you just killed her. Right. Well, that's brings it's, it's, it's in a sense, a, a mercy killing or euthanasia, which from, it, it is from our and point of view is unacceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to do that to, um, to all of them, un- disable their emotional inhibitors, which is, Fine, that's defensible ethically. Um, I don't, and then the, I don't and know if it is, in a sense. I mean, because it, it, you're causing them to be in incredible mm-hmm. pain. Yeah, but you're also giving them back. Well, uh, so it's potentially ethically defensible because yeah. you're also giving you're returning control to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. In a, or at least the opportunity of self determination again, because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And in fact, the Cybermen, after they had their emotional inhibitors turned off, did different things. 
Not mm-hmm. all of them did the same thing. The right. cyber controller remained true to his principles. Others just staggered around. And then they had the ridiculous thing, which furthermore undercuts this story, is <laughs> people's heads blowing up. You know? <laughs> I mean, just Cybermen heads exploding for no apparent reason because emotional inhibitors got turned off. Right. I mean, that's 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 way worse than Kirk talking a computer into committing suicide. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that I mean, the, the whole thing with with uh, with the bride, Sally, it was very sad. It was emotional. And mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was effective in conveying the of how horrible this is that it's happened to all these people. But you're right. Like, because. But it's hard to sustain that when they're also the bad guy that the that the doctor is blowing up and killing mm-hmm. in various uh, uh, parts and places. Um, it, so yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's it becomes it's it's the it's one of the flaws of this episode. Now, at, at one point when we were talking about like the 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 these aren't our Cybermen, quote unquote, in our world, but the they um, Stephen Moffat tries to kind of play it both ways or try to reconcile mm-hmm. it in uh, world enough in time in the doctor falls when he, when he says kind of just throws in there, Cybermen seem to develop in parallel in different times and places that, oh, yeah. uh, that it's human humans are at. Yeah. 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 It's eventually humans will, will create Cybermen. That's is sort of the, the inevitability of it, but I don't know. You know, I, I wonder a little bit if the idea of putting it on another earth with these characters, we know, was part of a of the greater plan to then later later on with, when Rose leaves, um, is to have Rose and Jackie be reunited with Pete Tyler you know, on this other planet. Spoilers, sorry, you know if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it, but you know mm-hmm. you're listening to Secrets of Doctor Who. <clears throat> but um, <laughs> you know because Jackie in this had to die. She you know she had mm-hmm. to be eliminated. Not just because it would be very sad for Rose and for Pete, but because she, this Jackie needed to be moved aside so that our "quote unquote" Jackie could move in. Uh, I want. I just. I feel like that there might have been this this overall plan in place. It's possible because Rose does leave at the end of this season, so you know yeah, they that's uh, true. plotted the whole season all at once. Um, I still find it ineffective, though. And oh, and, I agree. You know, yeah. Rose's daddy issues coming back. I mean, we already had Father's Day devoted to that, which is one of it's. It, I I don't think it's that bad, and I like the fact that Pete redeems himself in it by by mm-hmm. self sacrifice to save others. Um, but Father's Day is considered one of the least successful episodes by many people. And then they bring the daddy issues back here. And then we don't get a Pete redemption story here. Pete's on the wrong side and he weasels out at the end. Yeah. And, and rejects Rose. I mean, he sort yeah. of there's no fundamentally there's there's no uh, reconciliation. There's no emotional payoff. There's no mm-hmm. like, oh, I've lost oh. my wife, but I have I feel like I have a connection to her still through you. There's nothing. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like this weird emotional non-resolution at the end. Yeah. Now, she, again, she, 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 he tries to stop her from identifying herself as his daughter. Mm-hmm. And when she finally says that she's his daughter, he just walks away. Yeah. You know, and, and to be fair, though, I, again, if you know, as I recall, when you go forward in the season, they do kind of pay that off eventually. You know, when they do have the reunion of mm-hmm. our Earth, Jackie, and alternate Earth, 
repeat. Yeah. They do yeah. kind of pay that off. They do. Um, yeah. Eventually. But taking, but taking again, this you know, story this, on its own, yeah. it's unsatisfying. Right. As is Mickey's departure. Yeah. Mickey finally was getting respect. And it's interesting at the beginning of this story, um, you know, the doctor and Rose are are palling around talking about things they've experienced together. And Mickey hasn't experienced any of these things. And yeah. so he's an outsider in that conversation. And we, the viewers, feel for him. Mm-hmm. It's like they're being jerks. Yeah. By just laughing and cavorting about all these things they've done in the presence of this guy who hasn't done any of them. And they're not including him. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the doctor at one point leaves Mickey stuck with his hand on a switch for 29 minutes. And, and he's bullying him in a sense. Yeah, exactly. So so our sympathies from hating Mickey in the initial episode, Rose, have just flipped to where now we're mm-hmm. on Mickey's side and can even take Mickey's side as opposed to the doctor and Rose. Right. And um, and then poof, Mickey leaves the TARDIS at the end for this uh, heroic future on parallel earth and it's mm-hmm. like no don't take you don't build this guy up this way and then just take right. him away like that well well also why are you turning your, the hero of the show the protagonist the the the, the you you the person who is supposed to be everyone's favorite character you're turning him into a jerk like to, why are you making mm-hmm. the doctor into a jerk to, to yeah, that worked out so well in the Colin Baker era. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. It's, it's like, oh, my gosh, the shades of that. Um, I, but also I have to say, I, I don't mind a little bit of that. I mean, the doctor can have rough edge edges mm-hmm. to his personality. Right. He's got to keep it in balance. Right. And, exactly. You know, it, it did. I, I do think it did help with the development of Mickey's character. You know, there's that one point where he says, I'm not the tin dog anymore. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, I'm done with that. And I, I think that helped. I do agree, though. It's like, why did they build him up? And then, oh, by the way, he's gone. Yeah. Right. They were trying to like, I think they're trying to get this idea that like he sees Rose as being with the doctor. Like that's his his romantic connections with Rose are, are done. Like he just sees that that there's no chance for him there. Um, and then they introduce his blind grandmother who died. Uh, some years ago who's alive in this universe and gives him a connection to hang on to in this universe. Mm-hmm. But it just seems so th- like, like that, that quickly to abandon your own world permanently, as far as he knows for this other yeah. world, which is different in many ways, very like in fundamentally mm-hmm. and, and in ways you don't even know yet. I mean, how do you even book passage on a Zeppelin? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. a computer guy. He'll just hack his, his name into the database. I mean, is he just? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is he just going to? They're not alternate computer systems. Yeah, right. I know, right. Yeah. Is he just going to take up Ricky's life? You know, and 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 assume his identity? And it just it just seemed abrupt and 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 very kind of strange. And like we just need to get rid of uh, Mickey. It's you know we. Mm-hmm. We've built He's him a up. third wheel and we don't need him. Right, right. And it's that's unfortunate. I, 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 I suspect they did that to allow the romance between Rose and the doctor to flourish, that they needed to get make the Mickey thread resolved um, to it. Because as long as Mickey's around, we've got a romantic triangle going. Yeah. And we and Mickey cannot win in that triangle. And so um uh, at least the way they had set it up, um, he's he uh, later when we have a similar triangle, the the Mickey equivalent, um, uh, Arthur Darvel does win. 
Yes. Um, but um, but that's a different situation. And here, I think they said, you know, Mickey is fundamentally, a, you know, someone who's not going to win in that situation. And so we need to move him off so that he's not a lingering thread with the viewer going, well, what about Mickey? We need a definitive break between him and Rose. Right. And the only reason that Rory ends up winning in that sense in, in, in definitively is because they introduce River Song and mm-hmm. and kind of close that door pretty strongly mm-hmm. by making the doctor their son-in-law. But and they they bring it to a head in in a, the episode Amy's Choice where Amy yeah. chooses Rory over the doctor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I want to go back to this whole thing with like uh, Rose and Pete it just to kind of like another element that kind of bugged me which is you know, Rose, she wants to go see Pete and Jackie and tries to wheedle the doctor into letting go. Please, please, please. Like, hello, do you not remember the last time I let you go, like, go yeah, see exactly. Pete? <laughs> you almost destroyed the world, the universe, the galaxy. You know, I mean, hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, like, this is the, one of the things that kind of bugs me about about shows sometimes is, is that they don't have that continuity of the characters remembering previous things that they've done. And, and bringing it up like, well, of course, I'm not going to let you go see Pete Tyler. The last time I let you go do that, you you could not restrain yourself. And in fact, she does it again. Yep. <laughs> I mean, she just can't be trusted. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 it was kind of a, a bit a much there. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and also, once again, I think Jackie is so ill used again. I yeah. Mean, this Jackie is. She's still a shrew, but now she's a rich shrew. And it's like, yeah. gosh, like, could, could Jackie not get a break from these people? Like, what is the, what is their, what is the animus against moms in, in this show? <laughs> it just seems to be like every time a mom comes up, she's tr- treated so poorly. Or a stepmom. Dads are generally poorly treated too, except for yeah. Rory's dad. Right, right. Well, and um, uh, Donna's grandfather. Is mm-hmm. treated is, is ends up pretty well uh, in this, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, we don't even really see Clara's family, but that's a whole other conversation we had. Mm. Um, so at one point, uh, it's that we we hear when they're talking about the Cybermen, the conversion. Um, I think it's John Lumica says we're all flesh and blood, but blood, but it's the brain that makes us human. Is this true? Is it our brain that makes us human? No, until I mean, speaking anthropologically from uh, in terms of philosophical and theological anthropology, mm-hmm. no, it's not just the brain, right? Yeah. But it, it, we can't abstract the brain from it either, and say without the brain we'd still be human, right? Right. Um, you know, if if sort of, I mean, it's sort of a thought experiment. If we were to able mm-hmm. to do brain transplants, if you could transplant mm-hmm. a brain from one body to another, who would you be? You might be a parasitic twin at that point mm. um, because there the brain does seem to be privileged in a way. So from a, from a theological anthropology point of view, um, a human being has a human soul, which is essential. And mm-hmm. it, even though it can survive temporarily without a human body, ultimately our destiny is to be reunited with our bodies, including both the body and the brain. Mm-hmm. So we've got 
the brain, which is a privileged part of the body, and then we have the soul. And you need all of that package to have a full human being. You can lose bits of it, like I could lose an arm in an auto accident or something and still be a human, but I wouldn't be a complete human. So if you took the brain of one person and put it in another person's body, it's not entire. I mean, it's not clear yet exactly what the result of that would be. It could be that since we're speculating, it could be that you've killed the other person, mm-hmm. even though they they remain alive on the cellular level. They're mm-hmm. no and on the organ level, they're no longer alive on the level of a whole person. And so you've essentially grafted another person's body onto you. It's also possible that no, that other person is really still alive, even though you gave them severe brain damage and you've stuffed a new person's surviving remnant into them. And so really, you've got a fusion of two people Mm. there, Mm. one of whom has been severely brain damaged and the other of whom has been severely body damaged. Interesting. Well, that's a question, too, of, you know, if if the, the brain truly is our storage of our memories and all that. By doing that transplant, are you really just giving another person the memories, one person the memories of another person, but you're really not carrying over that other person? Like Swamp Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's and it's, it's it really the issue that things like the transhuman and humanism movement keeps trying to bring up this idea of can we, how much of our body can we replace with parts, mechanical parts, spare parts, yep. before we no longer are human? Because you know, we, we, we do, at least again, you know, as Jimmy said, from a Catholic standpoint, we do believe that the body is an integral part of what it means to be human. We are body and soul united. We are not the body is not just our flesh bag that holds our soul. Right. And in fact, the soul from a Catholic point of view, the soul doesn't exist in a place. Its soul is spirit, which has no. You, no place it doesn't exist it's not in your brain or in your body right. but it's connected to it in a in a supernatural way uh, i'm trying to use the layman's language that's that's as accurate as possible but it's connected <laughs> it's connected to our body in a supernatural way but, but there's so many mis- misconceptions about what it like what that means that that body soul composite you or even just on a physiological level how brain works and I read a mm-hmm. fascinating article not too long ago that talks about our we're often our our metaphor for the brain is is we we speak in computer language we talk mm-hmm. about you know uh, memories as if they're files that are stored on a hard drive and uh, we reboot the brain but. That's not actually how the brain works. The, mm. Like we, we don't. In fact, we don't really know how the brain works and how right. consciousness works. And so the the you know again, with this is we're we're kind of uh, working off of a, a story that's trying to tell you know it's not trying to explain how all of this works physiologically and metaphysically and all that sort of stuff. But it's an interesting jumping off point to kind of say you know uh, these sto- we we have to be careful not to let a good story or a an okay story in this case, uh, <laughs> distract us from, you know, or, or lead us astray on the fact that, that this isn't really how things work. Well, you know, and we've used analogy for the brain for how it works for a long time. You know, now we use computers because we understand computers. We see computers and computers do brain-like functions. Yes. Yeah. Where they and, process. But, you know, you look back at the time when uh, mechanical devices were developing the Industrial Revolution, they viewed it more like a, a, a mechanical machine. 
like yeah. a clockwork and, machine, like last week yeah, in the girl in the fireplace. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and the, the metaphor at that time was the ghost in the machine. And if you go back before the advent of big machines to Descartes' day, the the metaphor was the Cartesian theater, where you had like a person as a inside of a large theater as a metaphor for how how the mind worked. And right. before that, you have Saint Paul comparing it to a person living in a body like a person lives in a tent. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And all of these things are metaphors, and we and it's tough. To, it it's very tricky to get the metaphor to over identify it with the reality. A metaphor is just a way of trying to think about something or talk about something that we don't really understand. In that case, but it expresses a partial truth. Yes, exactly. So good discussion. I like that. I like that. I, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure we we talked about that a little bit because I think it's an important point in in the discussion of Cybermen as these these people who've been horribly mutilated. And are they people or are they not? Are they just machines? Yeah. I And one thing that I, I would like to just mention is, um, you know, even though we've been talking about things because we're Catholics and we naturally think about things from a Catholic point of view, that doesn't mean that we expect everything in these fantasy TV series is to reflect a Catholic point of view. <laughs> right, right. Um, all fiction is I, I maintain tongue in cheek that all fiction is science fiction, because if it's fiction at all, it's not describing the real world mm-hmm. and therefore it's a parallel universe. So everything in fiction, no matter how realistic, is a parallel universe story. <laughs> and it's just a question of how far is a given fiction going to deviate mm-hmm. from the real world? And you can deviate in big ways. It can create interesting things to think about. And, you know, heck, for all I know, God may have created other worlds out there that could be like these fictional ones. They just obey mm-hmm. different rules than ours. Yeah. And, you know, and the nice thing about being able to look at something like this is to be able to discuss these issues. And that's that's what science fiction does so well. Um, and you, you hear this time and time and time and time again. Science fiction is a great vehicle to look at issues in our world today, but to abstract them enough so that it's not in your face. Right. You know, where you can, t- you know, Star Trek is so good about this, about here's some concerns, here's some worries in our world today. Well, let's take them and let's move them to the 23rd century, the 24th century and talk about them there. But we can still get, you know, think about it for what the consequences are for our world today. Right. When you remove- from, that, from, Go ahead. from that point of view, this two parter is uh, is an eff- effective, if not greatly executed uh, way of thinking about transhumanism and the convergence of humanity and technology that, you know, is playing out right now with AirPods. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of AirPods, the, the Cyberman factory in the show is the Battersea Station. It's a famous uh, uh, um, filming, power, location. filming location, power plant, which is now being turned into a part of it is going to become Apple Apple's headquarters in Britain. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh boy! Cybus <laughs> equals Apple. Yeah, Got which, which is, makes the AirPods. So we have this full circle, which is kind when, of fun. When when, uh, when Tim Cook shows up in a dirigible, we'll know that this is actually <laughs> yeah. predicting Apple's rise. Stroking a white fluffy cat. I yeah. for one welcome our uh, uh, our Cyberman overlord. So the Cyberman will come in aluminium. And we'll yeah. have uh, no ports. But can, can, but can you can you get it in space gray? <laughs> right, you, right. And, and by the way, I am still rebelling. I have my Android phone uh, well, as I'm oh. using a MacBook Pro. <laughs> I, I've, I've drunk the Kool Aid. Partial rebellion. Yeah, I'm a Mac guy. Uh, a couple more. 
points I just wanted to mention, you bring up. Um, does the president of Great Britain not have a protection detail? Because that seemed a big oversight. Uh, when the yeah. Cybermen attack the uh, uh, the Tyler Mansion, uh, the you know the president of Great Britain is standing there, uh, completely defenseless in the face of these creatures. Um, so that seemed. Uh, a- Admittedly, I wanted I wanted to see the brigadier come out five rounds rapid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I did. I did. I liked Mrs. Moore. I thought she was Uh a a fun character who didn't get nearly enough time. But when she said her name was Angela Price, that it was a real name, the doctor kind of stopped and and sort of had a moment of recognition. Yeah. Am I I missing something? I I don't know what that could otherwise be a reference to. Um, yeah, I don't. Be able to I don't find remember, out while I'm we're talking. Kind of glancing through, and I don't remember. Yeah, it, it, just looking at the TARDIS wiki, there's the only thing she shows up in is, is this. Is this? Yeah, yeah. It, I one thing I wondered, and she said she got her name from a book. The name, the code name, Mrs. Moore. And Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what that could be a reference to. And it's like on the edge of my brain. And I it's like I I, it feels like that is a reference to something. I just don't know what. But I think it's clearly a reference to something because she expects the doctor to recognize that. Mm -hmm. And he does recognize it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't see anything, but. Well, if if any oh, listeners know, oh, oh Jimmy, it gets looks them? like um, Angela Price is has also appeared um, in uh, in the TV story uh, Lost in Time from the Sarah Jane Adventures. Okay, so the Sarah, so Sarah Jane Adventures, but uh, interesting is there was a character named Angela Price, yeah. um, and presumably the Doctor. Knew about her from that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure which one of these came. I think though this came first before yeah. that. Uh, yeah, but given the time traveling, <laughs> we can always retcon it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So the the uh, so there's no real resolution. So if if anybody um, you know listening has any ideas on that or any sources for both the or the the literary origin of Mrs. Moore as well as why the doctor would have recognized Angela Price as a name, uh, you know, drop us a line at uh, Doctor Who at sqpn.com or on our Facebook page. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, speaking of Mrs. Moore, you know, when the doctor discovers the emotional inhibitor, which apparently he does by seeing it because emotional inhibitors, um, either it says well, you, right on it, emotional yeah. inhibitor, or it, you know, they have a particular, the, the CPU looks very specific. He, he's the doctor. He knows what everything looks like. I mean, they all look the same. doesn't matter who makes it. So, <laughs> right. Um, but he does bring it, you know, when he, when he talks about like turning it off, he, say, he does ask, do I have the right to turn it off? So he does have that emotion, that not, not emotion, moral uh, quandary for a moment before mm-hmm. he does, um, mm-hmm. which uh also sort of mirrors something from uh the fourth doctor that we recently talked about in Genesis of the Daleks. He also right. has that moral quandary, do I have that right to do, you know, to 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 turn off the or kill all the Daleks. Only there he balks and here he doesn't. Yes. Mm-hmm. By the way, speaking of Genesis of the Daleks, this would be a good time to mention that um the Genesis of the Daleks will be airing in cinemas coming up. Ooh. Uh, in fact, I'm just checking our release schedule for this 
episode to make sure it hasn't already passed. Uh, see, uh, we're recording this in advance. Is it a, a Phantom Events uh, screening? Or? It is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're planning to release this episode. Oh, gosh. While you're looking that up, for yep. people who, do, who may not know, Phantom, uh, Phantom Events is a is a, a company that puts on screenings of rare and unusual movies. They'll bring back mm-hmm. things that wouldn't have a wide commercial release, but they're a kind of specialty yep. film uh, distribution system. And uh, and they've done a few Doctor Who uh, sh- episodes in theaters uh, for, mm-hmm. for like that. So uh, as you're listening now, uh, this episode drops um, – on May 28th, so you will have received this in your podcast queue, May 28th, 2018. Hopefully you listen to this quickly because uh, the 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 genesis of the Daleks will be in theaters on June 11th. And for so it's very it's a and it's a limited run, of course, um, and it will be the entire 90 something minute uh, um, genesis of the Daleks plus an interview with Tom Baker uh, will be added mm-hmm. on to it. So very interesting um, for since it came up, I thought I'd mention it and yeah. people can maybe get and a chance to see it. Interviews with Tom Baker are always interesting, if a little weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So um, anything else I wanted to add? Anybody have? Um, any- oh, I have. I have something that I liked. OK. And I mean, I've, I've largely dissed this story, but one just as it has individual moments that are effective and one that I thought was effective just as a cool sci-fi idea is early on in the first episode when the doctor is fixing the TARDIS, he uses a bit of the Artron energy yep. that powers his regenerations to help help repower the TARDIS. And he says away he says he gave away 10 years of his life, but it was worth every bit to be able to fix this. Right. And I like that um, conceptual idea of being able to convert or, you know, use this energy mm-hmm. in in a way for something other than regenerations, because um, if it, because it, it, it's, I mean, it builds verisimilitude in that if you have some form of energy in a universe, it's going to be usable to do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to fit into a larger scientific narrative, just like gravity runs all kinds of stuff in our universe and electricity runs all kinds of stuff in our universe. If Artron energy existed, it should do more than allow these guys to escape death, you know, at the end of a generation. Of course, it raises the questions. What do you mean? But what does he mean by 10 years of his life? 10 years of this current regeneration? You know, the, mm-hmm. of the tenth Doctor, is it ten years of the entire lifespan of the Doctor? But since and because he lives for thousands of years, it's <clears throat> not very much then. So it's well, it's, not it, a big it's price. not very much, yeah. but it's still something. He pays a personal price, yeah. and if mm-hmm. this, if this regen, I think the two are equivalent. The two ideas, because if this regeneration ends ten years sooner, then that, and he's got a limited number of regenerations at this point, and that means the end is ten years closer. That's true. Mm-hmm. Would you give one minute of your life to repower, accomplish something, charge yeah, your important. iPhone one more time, <laughs> an extra cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, by the way, a, a little um, a production error. When Mickey sees his grandmother uh, for the first time, she opens the door and she's blind. 
um, you can totally see the boom man and the cameraman reflected in his grandmother's glasses. <laughs> just, just, I just wanted to throw that out there. It was kind of funny, a little. Uh, but again, we watch things on much higher resolution TVs than they people did in two, even in two thousand six. So That's true. disappointed that the mirror universe granny didn't have a goatee. <laughs> well, at, least, at least an eye patch, you know. Yeah, there wasn't a, yeah. there wasn't a goatee anywhere. Yeah, nobody had go, had um, even the uh, bad guy. Evil goatees or eye patches. What kind of mirror universe are we are we looking at here? Um, so yeah, they even got goatees in the mirror universe episodes of Community. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> so, anything else you guys want to throw there? Any of the last points that we didn't cover? Um, uh, Overall, I mean, I agree, Jimmy. It was an okay episode. It wasn't great. Uh, uh, you know, it was. it's nice to have the Cybermen back because they add something to the story. I think we get better Cybermen stories mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, similar to this, but in different ways. Um, the Canary Wharf story that's coming out, the Battle of Canary Wharf, that's the end of the season, I think is, a, is, is interesting. The Daleks versus the Cybermen sort of thing mm-hmm. that happens. Um, it's a, it feels bigger. Um, but this, the ones we get, uh, under, um, uh, Stephen Moffat's tenure, he, you know, like a lot of things, he seems to kind of play the, the, the monster a little better, a little more scary. Yeah. The name does not feel bigger. Canary Wharf. I think of a wharf as a small thing. It was yeah. like if it was Can- Canary Valley or Canary Mountain or Canary <laughs> Plain, it would sound bigger. Right. Well, you know, for the uh, for, for Londoners, they know what the, what that is. But like, but Canary too. It's a little birdie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so More like Grizzly Grizzly Mountain or Grizzly Plain or Grizzly Valley would sound like the Battle of thing. Grizzly Pit. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, on that note, we better end it because that's so. That's it from us. Uh, so, what did you think of this two-part tenth Doctor story, Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel? Uh, let us know by visiting uh, sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Send us an email to uh, Doctor Who at sqpn.com. It would be great if you attached a voicemail to that, and we could play it on uh, the podcast. That would be great. Um, yeah, you, know, you can attach a recording of your voice with your comment or question. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back uh, next time when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor's first story as we continue on our journey through all the Doctor's first stories. The 11th Doctor's first story called The 11th Hour. Uh, until then, uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Pleasure, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening, and remember, you lot, you're obsessed. You'll do anything for the latest upgrade. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those...